You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our sermon today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 18. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Uh, Jane Hansom is a London-based Ironman champion. If you're not familiar with the Ironman, it is the mother of all fitness challenges. You start with a you start with a 2.4-mile swim, then there's a 112-mile bike, and you finish with a marathon, 26 miles to cap it all off. The average Ironman requires over 12 hours to complete. So Jane, who is a champion, gave an interview with Women's Health Magazine where she described her weekly training regimen. Every day she gets up. At 5.30, she starts with a 90-minute swim or bike. She will sprint for three minutes. She'll go moderate for a minute. And she'll continue that cycle for an hour and a half. At lunchtime, she sprints swimming for one hour. And then she finishes off her day by repeating her morning workout. If you're counting, that is four hours of strenuous exercise every single day. Not four minutes, four hours. Now, what drives a person to train at this level? Seems crazy. In the interview, she said she just loves it. The gratification, the competition, the friendships, they all motivate the sacrifice to be an Ironman champion. This mentality, it may sound crazy to you, but these notions of motivation and sacrifice are common in American culture. Men and women sacrifice years of training and endure unrelenting stress to become doctors and lawyers. Students stay up all hours of the night working on papers and studying for tests. The prospect of getting into the college or the graduate school of their choice motivates the sacrifice. Parents sacrifice comfort and money and sleep for the sake of having children. The love of children motivates the sacrifice. And many people just struggle every single day working to make ends meet. Survival and a life of dignity motivate the sacrifice. American culture knows motivation and sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul defends the biblical right of a pastor to receive a salary from his church. And Paul says that even though he's entitled to a salary, that he declined salary from the church at Corinth. Why? Well, for the sake of the gospel. Paul's commission as an apostle, his gratitude for the grace of God, and his joy in Christ motivate the sacrifice that he makes in the church at Corinth. So today we're going to cut 1 Corinthians chapter 9 into two halves. We're going to look first at Paul's sacrifice for the gospel, and then we're going to look at his motivation for the sacrifice. So sacrifice for the gospel and then motivation for the sacrifice. And what we're going to see is that when we receive the gospel with gratitude and when we find joy in Christ, we will naturally be motivated to make sacrifices for the gospel. So first, Paul's sacrifice for the gospel. So Paul opens up this section, this text, by justifying biblically the right of a pastor to collect a salary from his or her church. He cites first in verse 9, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. He then makes an appeal to logic 
in verse 10 where he says, a laborer who is working in the fields is entitled to a portion of the harvest. And then finally, he reminds people that in Levitical law in the Old Testament, a priest was allowed to take home some of the grain and some of the meat from sacrifices as a means of compensation and provision. And so Paul sums up this argument in verse 14 where he writes, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. On behalf of the Cole family, I would like to thank the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Uh, However, Paul says that he declined a salary. He never collected any money from the church at Corinth. His justification for this was the sake of the gospel. Paul writes in verse 15, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So what we know is during this time and during this day, there were itinerant pastors who would go around preaching, and they would, they would collect handsome speaker fees. And they were starting to develop a bad reputation. People were starting to accuse them of getting rich off of God. And so Paul, being very, very careful to not compromise his gospel ministry and to not compromise his credibility as a witness to the resurrection, he just declined a salary. He decided he in no way wanted to be associated uh, with people who were doing that, and he wanted to be very, very careful. Um, So with that being said, Paul never collected a salary from the church. He was so committed to this uh, that Paul worked part-time as a leather worker and a tent maker. And also to keep costs low, he lived with Priscilla and Aquila uh, so that he could, he could work as a, as a pastor but not receive any money from the church. Now, a pastor that I know in Washington State, whose name is Jeff Stevenson, um, he has started a ministry called Proyecto Nehemiah, which translates good gospel-centered books and materials into Spanish. Now, Jeff, who most of, a good portion of his life lived in Chile, uh, he was a part of a church that had very destructive theology. And his life was changed when he read a book by R.C. Sproul, where he was introduced to the true gospel of grace. And so knowing that there are very, very few gospel-centered materials in the Spanish language, Jeff decided that he was going to start this ministry. Uh, he has a Ph.D. in, in Spanish. Uh, to start translating works into the Spanish language. But Jeff has never collected a salary from Proyecto Nehemiah. He's a seminary classmate of mine, and I asked him why, and he gave two explanations. One, he said, if I don't take a salary, we can put more money into translation, and we can get the gospel into Latin America more. And secondly, he said, if donors know that I'm not collecting a salary, they're going to be more, money, they're going to be more likely to give money to the ministry And we're going to be able to get more money into translation, into the gospel going out into the Spanish-speaking world. Now, conversely, uh, a young man has established an Instagram account called Preachers in Sneakers. He noticed that a lot of celebrity preachers were wearing exorbitantly expensive footwear and accessories when they preached. Uh, And so he would put pictures of pastors in expensive shoes, and next to it he would have the advertisement for those shoes that showed just how much they cost. Uh, There is a pastor in Nike high tops that costs $5,600. Like, come on, guys, really? $500, $600? Come on, give me a break. Um, There's another pastor with more than $5,000 of Gucci accessories as he's preaching. Now, uh, the Nike pastor, he did have a successful career in entertainment before he became a preacher. He can probably afford those shoes. Uh, And the Gucci pastor defended himself 
saying that he had been given all that Gucci by members of his church, which is, you know, probably true. He's a preacher in Manhattan. He ministers to wealthy people. Uh, but I don't really care. It's time to drop the Gucci, and it's trying, time to drop the Nike. This Instagram account now has over 150,000 followers, people who are disgusted by the extravagant lifestyles of these celebrity preachers. It is clearly compromising their gospel ministry. So it's time to sacrifice the Gucci and sacrifice the Nike. Now, this is not just a message for preachers, uh, because if you're a Christian, that means that you are in gospel ministry. And so with that being said, we all need to examine our lives and see if, there are any, if there's anything in our life that undermines our credibility uh, as a preacher of the gospel. If that's the way we behave on social media or the kind of things uh, that we post, if that's the language that we use, if that's the jokes that we tell, if there's anything that stands in our way of being an effective gospel witness, we need to sacrifice it. And young people, I don't mean to be the bad guy. But I just want to say this kindly but clearly. Vaping and drinking underage vastly weaken your witness as a, as a witness of the gospel. Young little kids hear that as I say that. If you abstain from those things, it greatly strengthens your gospel witness. So those are things that are worth sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Now, that's a hard word. That's kind of a burdensome start. So we have to ask the question, what motivates the sacrifice? And there's a really hopeful explanation in that. So the second part, we look at Paul's motivation for the sacrifice. There are three words in verses 15 through 18 that indicate and reveal Paul's motivation. The first word is in verse 16. It is woe. Paul writes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So what Paul means by this is that he has been commissioned by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. That is his job description. And if he does not follow through on that, Woe be unto him. And so something that we can take, on, take from that is that we as a church, we have two functions. We have a function to worship the Lord God, and we have a function to deliver the good news of God's grace for sinners every day and every week. And so the fact that that is our purpose, commissioned by the Lord Jesus, motivates whatever it takes to proclaim the gospel. Second is the word stewardship. Verse 17, Paul says, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So when Paul uses this word stewardship uh, in Colossians 1.25 and in Ephesians 3.13, he is talking about being a steward of the grace of God. What that indicates to us is that Paul sees the gospel and that he sees his salvation as a gift from the Lord that he must be a good steward of. Oftentimes you see celebrities or you see wealthy people who recognize that the celebrity or the wealth that they have is a gift, and they want to be good stewards of that. You see celebrities who will sign a million autographs or who will do things for charitable causes. Or you see affluent families who will open up a charitable foundation to be strategic and intentional about their giving because they see these things as a gift from the Lord, and they want to be a good steward of that. Now, you are, if you are like me and you've been a Christian for over 30 years, uh, Admittedly, there can become times where the gospel and your salvation becomes a little ho-hum. It becomes a little routine, and it becomes something that we take for granted. But when we start to remember the gift that we have in our salvation, it starts to change the way that we think about our lives and change the way that we think about delivering the gospel. Because the gospel is this realization that you no longer have any fear in death. It's the realization that there is no longer any condemnation or rejection 
for those who are in Christ. The gospel is the realization that you will never be alone ever again. And the gospel is the realization that there is finally someone in the world who knows you completely, who understands you completely, and accepts you just as you are. And when we remember the gospel as a gift like that, we inherently will become motivated to make sacrifices for the gospel because we want to be good stewards of the most precious gift we have ever been given. Finally, final word that he uses is the word boast. In verses 15 through 16, he writes, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, when Paul is talking about boasting, he is not talking about selfish bragging. Paul is talking about the kind of boasting that grandparents do about their grandkids uh, and that new parents do about their babies. Like if you're a grandparent, you're a parent of a new baby, you're just itching for somebody to ask you about your kids because it gives you so much joy. I know, Miss Clark. I know, Miss Clark. It gives you so much joy and so much pleasure to talk about your grandkids or your new baby. I mean, I've been in the parenting business now for nine years, and if you ask me about my kids, the phone is coming out, and it's going to get obnoxious. (laughs) Have you ever seen more beautiful hair in your life? Have you ever seen more beautiful eyes? Is that not the most beautiful girl you've ever seen? Is that not the cutest baby in the whole world, right? And it's not a matter of boasting. You just love your child. You have such pleasure and delight in your child that you just can't help yourself, right? This is how Paul felt about Jesus. To to ask Paul to talk about Jesus was putting a dime in his jukebox. He found so much joy, so much pleasure in Jesus Christ that he would not want to do anything that could compromise the thing that gave him the most joy in his life. Some of you may be familiar uh, with a pastor named John Piper. Uh, He is an author. He has written dozens and dozens of books. He has sold tens of millions of copies but he has never collected any royalties from his books. Instead, he has had all of the money put into a charitable foundation to send money into evangelism and missions. He stands to have been worth tens of millions of dollars, but he has declined it for the sake of the gospel. And in an interview where he talked about why he does this, he gave a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was he's afraid that wealth could compromise his intimacy with Christ. And he says that Christ is the greatest pleasure and satisfaction of his life, and he would not want to do anything that could rob him of the joy that he finds in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian or if you're a person who has like a toe in the Christian waters but not, you're not fully surrendered, there are two things I would kind of point out in this. The first is when you hear these stories about Jeff Stevenson and the Apostle Paul and John Piper, what you see is that their lives are inspiring. Their lives are brought and they're called into something bigger than themselves. It's a meaningful life of impact. And that is what you are being invited into in a relationship with Jesus. You are being invited into a life of purpose and meaning. The second thing that I would point out too, especially when we look at John Piper and the Apostle Paul, is that they are declining what the world says will make you happy. They are declining what the world says will satisfy you because they have found the thing that can truly satisfy your soul in Jesus Christ. And once they have found that pearl of great cost, they don't want anything that could compromise the joy and the pleasure that they find in their relationship with Christ. So to close, we have talked about sacrifice 
and motivation a lot. Like those are words that typically make us weary, that typically produce anxiety and that are burdensome. But the thing that I would like to say is that when you find your joy in Christ and when you find your joy in the gospel, making sacrifices for the gospel is not necessarily easy, but it is a pleasure and it is a delight because you remember that you have this incredible gift in your salvation. You have this incredible gift in Christ and you want to give it away. You want to share with other people this great joy and that naturally leads us to want to make sacrifices for the sake of others knowing Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.